Welcome to the Caring Together podcast. Caring for a loved one can be one of life's greatest privileges, but caregiving can also be overwhelming, exhausting, and isolating. Whether you're currently a caregiver or just want to learn more about caregiving, we're glad you're here. And I'm Jack Baker. I'm one of your co-hosts. I've been involved with supporting seniors and a caregiver myself for over four decades. And I'm your other co-host, Amy Smythe, with the Area Agency on Aging, Region 1B. In this season of the Caring Together podcast, we're focusing on what it takes not just to survive, but to thrive mind, body, and soul during your caregiving journey. We're grateful to our sponsor for making this season possible, the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Legacy Fund for Caregivers at the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, with additional support provided by the Area Agency on Aging 1B. Well, welcome to episode four of our second season of the Caring Together podcast. We're here again with Jill Gaffner-Livingston, who is a certified dementia practitioner and Alzheimer's disease dementia trainer. She's literally trained thousands of formal and family caregivers around the world. So we encourage you to subscribe to the Caring Together podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms and to share these episodes on your social media with the family caregivers in your life. But it's so good to have you with us again, Jill. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, welcome, Jill. In our last episode, um, you did a really nice job of trying to provide some orientation for caregivers that struggle because caregivers is a very demanding, exhausting, you know, isolating uh, activity. But we're also recording this episode during a time when we are under a stay-at-home order. I'm dialing in from home, run on the net from home as you are, while our nation deals with the coronavirus. And I think this global uh, pandemic is really disorienting for people, for really, for many Americans, a very stressful time. And that's especially true for caregivers, because all these things are coming on top of all the normal caregiver stresses. So we thought today we'd maybe spend some time, just the three of us, talking a little bit about uh, what that means and how caregivers deal not just with the responsibilities of caregiving, but this overlay of all the new instructions and new guidelines, um, the questions about where you get supplies, the, you know, the the real question I think for people too about is it safe to have somebody come into your home, right, from outside? You know, for many caregivers, that's the the limited respite they often get is with the ability to have maybe a private pay aid or some agency provide some assistance, and then. Obviously, the news is on 24-7, talking about how everything's going. So so um, last time we took the, the listeners through the steps of setting up their own caregiver survival plan, and hopefully the caregivers took that to heart. So with that, Amy, do you have uh, you know maybe some thoughts? Yeah, I, I do. And I, I actually was just having a conversation with somebody the other day about um, the interesting phenomenon that they're seeing with family caregivers that are dealing with um, somebody now that facilities are in lockdown, basically. So as a caregiver, they can't even go into the facility. And it's this weird tension between relief that they don't have to be providing care or be engaged with that caregiver and the guilt of not being there and the grief of not being able to be there. That's just a whole another layer on what we're talking about and what this the coronavirus has has brought to our attention. Um, so in this time of true social isolation, how do we help caregivers further prevent 
withdrawing from friends and family? I mean, how do we help people stay connected when they can't physically be with their loved one or even the friends that would bring them some, some joy and respite? Well, so here's my thought on, on that. Caregivers are already isolated. We isolated ourselves when we started going into depression, right? And depression we know is very common. And so there's a certain amount of isolation that, that we know we backed away from, from social events because we had to, because we couldn't get out anymore. We couldn't financially afford them anymore. Maybe our, our patient, if it was a spouse, can't physically do them anymore, whatever, whatever it is. So actually, I think if anybody's prepared for something like that, the caregivers are probably more prepared than Joe and Molly down the street who have been doing their own thing forever and ever and ever. So does it affect us as caregivers? Sure, it affects the whole world. Uh, but I think if nothing else, we probably have an advantage because we knew what it felt like two months ago before they announced this kind of thing. We've been sort of shut in anyway, to a certain extent. But to your point, Amy, and you're talking about physical, uh, lack of physical connection with people. Uh, and I think it's important that we use technology and I know some of the aging population, they may not have the technology, they don't, they're not interested in it, but the caregivers need to find out how can we use technology right now to bring this stuff in. We did actually uh, FaceTime, I think it was, uh, maybe it wasn't FaceTime. Um, what was the first video that came out? Skype? I think it was Skype. I do think it was Skype and we used Skype um, with Bob and it blew his mind because he, and he kept trying to touch people on it, you know, and, and it just made him so happy because remember his family is from Buffalo. We lived in Michigan. And so when we first experienced with Skype, it was just a wonderful, wonderful tool. And it was a way we could all stay connected. And then our oldest son, Jacob moved to Naples, Florida, and this was the that we use to communicate there too. So, you know, you may find that in a normal day, you don't have a lot of technology that you encourage, but nowadays, right now, that's all we have. I mean, yeah. last night, my neighbors had a porch party where everybody went out on their porch at six o'clock. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was terrific. I was so excited to see human beings. <laughs> right? And so, anything you can do to put people and faces and and keep to your routine and and that's going to be important too uh so yeah one of the things that we did for my my grandma's 98 and she lives in a, a facility right now in assisted living that is in complete lockdown so and she's actually in hospice currently as well oh, so my mom is there but um cannot see her but one of the things we did because my grandma is very probably technology forward more so than a lot of older adults. She does her mm -hmm. shopping online. She does Facebook. Cool. She until recently sent an email every morning to let us know she was alive, you know, so she was pretty comfortable with technology. However, these last couple months have been really hard, but, and she's not using that as much. However, one of the things that we had gotten her for her birthday this year in January was a, a photo frame. And one of the, um, digital frames, but it's stuff that you can send videos and pictures to from anywhere in the world. 
Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, So while she can't be maybe proactive with technology right now, she can receive, you know, so every day she still goes to her frame to see if anybody sent her a message and that helps her feel connected. But it also is those of us who can't be there right now, it's been helpful to know that we can at least be engaging her that way. Right. Well, I, um, I don't know if you knew this, Amy, but I, I think you did. So last April, I I remarried, right? So I'm doing this all over again here. <laughs> and um, and so I have in-laws and they're 93 years old. And my mother-in-law is very active in her mind. You know, she's mentally aware and she enjoys people and, and so forth. And this has been very difficult for her. But one of the things that she did and her family did was they got her um, a game yeah, it's not a computer, but it, you know, it has like solitaire on it and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So she can play games that she didn't do before. They're simple games, but she says she probably pays plays a hundred games of solitaire just to keep her mind going. Yeah. And um, and you know, that's the thing she misses the most is engaging with people. And so, of course, we make phone calls to her, but the whole world is suggesting that we pick up the phone and contact our loved ones and keep them busy and so forth. But we can also entertain them with music. That's another wonderful way to keep people uh, mentally stimulated is give them the music of their past. Uh, you know, anything that you know, we had in our past, we probably can recite all the words far better than we can recall our lunch yesterday. Yeah. Right. <laughs> sure. And for so me. <laughs> it is. Well, it, the part of the brain that holds music never gets damaged, which is mm-hmm. why you hear about this all the time. Mm-hmm. So maybe work hard at getting maybe a, you know, an old iPad filled with music from your loved one that they like and stuff keep them busy with that kind of stuff it's uplifting it can change the mood it can actually get them energized i mean it's hard to sit still if your favorite song is on you might stand up and if nothing else sway back and forth which is better than sitting around Mm -hmm. right and uh and that's all very helpful yeah, one of the uh, national groups that I'm pretty active with um, online, there's been kind of an ongoing debate on a couple of different topics. And one of them is this issue of bringing outside people into your home. Because for caregivers, you know, many caregivers, particularly elderly spouses, you know, care solo for their spouse. They do it for years and years and years. For others, they rely on occasionally having an aide come in. But there's been discussion where a number of people have canceled the outside aides because they're so frightened about that. So do you have thoughts about that? How would you think through, you know, the issue of outside people? Well, I think every situation is unique. So it's very hard, depending on what the aid actually provides, right? So if they are providing uh, tasks that have to be done, then I think it's important we keep the aids, right? If those tasks um, can hold off for a while, well, maybe then they can. But I, I don't think there's a good general answer to that because I know some people that you know, they are bathed and fed and by those aids and they have to maintain those basic fundamental pieces of life where there are other aids that just have a social interaction with them. And if that's the case, let's use technology to keep that social interaction. Uh, We've also seen people that visit outside a window, 
right? Mm -hmm. And I think we've all seen that here and there on Facebook where people are having their visits, but they're doing it at a distance outside. Uh, so depending on what the requirements are, why we have, aid, why the aid is there in the first place, I think makes a huge difference. Yeah, and depending on the situation, I think, like you said, it just all depends. Um, uh, one situation I'm involved in, there's quite a number of outside people that come in because they've been providing three shifts of care, you know, seven days a week. And so there's no way one or two people could staff all that. But what they have done is cut it down to the absolute bare bones minimum number of different people so that because each person you come into contact with, you're also coming into contact with whoever they may have come into contact with. So I think that's one of the steps people are doing and in some cases reducing shifts so you can accomplish that. But people have their instructions on how to maintain not only distance, but threats by, you know, washing your hands and covering your mouth and, and that kind of thing. And I believe any uh, in-home care company has gone through the instructions with their caregivers. I mean, very clear. This is what you must do. And if they have a, a health issue, underlying health issue, my guess is they were probably taken out of that in the first place by their care team right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the company would have pulled them already. But if they are healthy, and they are taking all the precautions necessary, you know, I, I got to believe just like our healthcare workers, they're doing what they can to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And if you if you don't have an outside company, and are just trying to figure out yourself, I mean, the, the classic things, one thing people don't often think about is when someone walks into your home with shoes on, those shoes have walked places that you just don't know. So as a general rule of trying to make sure people take their shoes off when they come into a home, obviously the washing hands and consistently doing it regularly. Um, we've implemented a, a, a process where every uh, outside person that comes in, as well as the residents, all take uh, their temperatures twice daily and they're recorded because it it's partially the discipline of doing it. We were fortunate. I figured this out early enough. We were able to order some of the sleeves you can put over a thermometer. You know, sometimes you have to use, like in the old days, we used alcohol sure. to clean them, but that's really important. And then the the uh, the other piece that, that we're doing and all the aides that are coming in are, are being very diligent on this is basically just sanitize, 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 to just assume that any surface is possible. Someone could have somehow brought it in. And I think if you take those steps, you know, it's it's somewhat reassuring. Yeah, I grew up with a mother that, um, bless her heart, she passed away a couple years ago. But my mom always had a white cloth in her pocket. <laughs> she would always say, when you pass something, wipe it off. There is no sense in passing it and not wiping something down, right? And so this is how we were raised, was you are constantly wiping because that's how you maintain your house. Right. So my siblings, I have four siblings and I, you know, we grew up in a, a very clean household where my mother would always say, if you have time to sit down, you have time to vacuum and you better have a white, <laughs> <laughs> and you better have a white rag in your pocket. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. Yeah. And, and one uh, topic that was actually just this morning posted a couple people about is groceries and bringing groceries into your home. And how do you do that safely? And they had posted, they had shared on this site, a uh, it's a YouTube video that anyone could search on. It's called uh, PSA Safe Grocery Shopping in COVID-19 Pandemic, which sounds, you know, like this, you know, pretty uh, crazy title. But basically, it's a, it's a doc.
doctor that goes through and talks about all the steps that they think through for surgical kind of environments and basically treating groceries in almost the same way. It's about 15 minutes. It's a not, not a long video. You know, it talks about that, that just air, uh, what it's aerosolized, I guess it's called, just the virus itself can, can live for three hours on cardboard for 24 hours on plastic or metal for three days. And so how do you do that? And it talks about, you know, some disciplines of it. So anyway, I encourage you if, if that's something you're concerned about to, to uh, seek out, you know, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good video. about the people who have relied a lot on adult day programs for respite and obviously those are mostly if not all closed down now and typically people who the participants in those programs have a level of dementia I'm thinking of a friend in particular is actually somebody we interviewed on season one and her mother went to an adult day program five days a week. So that was a tremendous resource for her for respite. Mm-hmm. Well, her mom's at home now, five days, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. What can caregivers, you know, in addition to your caregiver survival plan that you already shared with us, do you have suggestions for things that they can do for with their parent, their patient, their whoever they're caring for with dementia that, um, you know, can keep them engaged a little bit, help for both of their mental health, you know, I guess during that time. So first of all, they may be looking at their parent or their loved one, right? And wondering, why are you acting like this? I had brought you home, right? And Mm -hmm. anyone that has any of the dementias, and remember there are many non-reversible dementias. So if you are taking them out of their element, you are changing their routine, you are changing their caregiver, that's going to take a toll on them. So that's the first thing is recognize that they may be behaving or Uh, you know, outwardly or aggressively or scared because you have moved their routine. So the first thing I would say is start another routine. And Mm. in that routine, try and do things that, you know, number one, that their loved one enjoys. Okay. We talked about music a minute ago, bring on their music. Try that. Encourage them to do a little bit of energy therapy, even if it's, Folding laundry, right? I mean, folding laundry, you have to have a little bit of energy, but get them involved in things. But as a routine, don't bring them home and have the expectation that they're going to sit in the den and watch TV because that's not what they did at that daycare. At that daycare, they kept busy all day long. They may have had a one hour rest time where they just relaxed. But maybe that's all they had. After that, they connected with people. They had some sort of routine. So get into a routine as quickly as possible. Give them a purpose. Give them a job. You know, we we talk about the end of life is when your purpose ends. For caregivers, sometimes our job is helping our patient find their purpose because their Mm -hmm. life is all upside down. 
um, be patient. You know, I, I talk about the caregiver, the number one thing of a good caregiver, I think, this is just my Jillism, is that you have to have patience. And I used to think before I became a caregiver, I used to think I was a pretty patient person. I would have told you in my younger years, I was kind of easy going, go with the flow, let's have fun, no big deal, live and learn, blah, blah, blah. And then I became a caregiver and realized I am not such a patient person. And I think a lot of people come up with that when they're put in a position where they really are dependent upon their patients to maintain a steady environment or atmosphere. And so one thing caregivers can do is practice patience, learn how to step away and do some deep breathing. When we lose our patience, it's not, a, it's not an inward thing. It's an outward thing. You'll notice my face changes, my voice changes, my tone changes. I may grip my teeth. Uh, I may, my eyes will change. I mean, it's very physical when we lose our, our patients with our loved one and they pick up on that. Mm -hmm. Well, now if they have dementias and the first thing is, I don't know what you're talking about. For instance, repetitive behavior, right? That's very common. So when is lunch? I want lunch. Are we having lunch? When is lunch? We already ate lunch. Stop asking me. We can't, right? The fact is they don't know they're asking five times. So if you're going to say, you already asked me that, now it's a fight between you and I. The behavior that's going to follow is going to be behavior that is very um, ugly on both sides. As the caregiver, I'm not as charming when I get all frustrated. And as a patient, they're not all that, uh, that charming either when they're that frustrated. Yeah, someone, we, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, if we control our patients, when we need to step away, step away. Take some deep breaths, call a friend, jump in place, do whatever you have to do, come back and start over. But we have to maintain that level of patience because once that goes, so does everything else go with it? My heart went out to another caregiver that posted this morning that her mother who lives with her has dementia, but is somehow aware enough to be convinced she has the coronavirus. For sure. And so it's being repeated over and over and over, and she's kind of at her wit's end. So I think your advice probably applies to her. Any other thoughts of things she might do to redirect that yeah. activity? Or Well, and see, here's the thing is oftentimes we take a logical step. We're going to do this a logical response. Well, our logic and their logic is different, right? So sometimes we enter their world. It's not considered lying. It's considered entering their world to help them. I think I have coronavirus. No, mom, we had you tested yesterday and you came out okay. Now, did yes. you really ever tested? No. Is it considered a lie? I suppose it's not the total truth, but this lie is needed for what we do. I mean, I'm currently working with a convent right now and they are working with one of their members there that has dementia and I'm working with them through the same thing. You know, that sometimes if, um, if their sister who has dementia has something she says, it's okay to agree with her. It, in fact, I encourage you to agree with her, even if it's not completely the truth. Yeah, that's right? a good suggestion, I think. So just enter their world. Give it to them. That's okay. You know, it, what amazes me is when we were young or when we had our children, we encouraged them to be creative. 
They can have a tea party. They can invite the princess. They can become the princess. And, and we walk away going, oh, my child is just so advanced and they have such a great imagination. And, oh, they can play for hours with that tea set. And, and it's okay when they're that little. Well, then fast forward to 85 and we pull out a tea, tea party and we say we're a princess or whatever. And people are like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not, we're not going to allow that. Allow it. We did it in a tea party at five. We can do it in a tea party at 85. There's nothing wrong with it. But I would say to your friend, I would definitely use the doctor. The doctor just called. Pick up the phone and say, hey, the doctor just called. Your results are back. You're fine. Mm, that's that's Go actually a very good suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, I think all these are really good suggestions because, I mean, you know, again, within the context of we're all stay at home ordered right now. And so yeah. you can't walk away, walk out, you know, take a drive, you know, you can't get away from the situation. So the extent that people can engage their loved ones, like these ideas that you're talking about, Jill, are really good. And just even the, Thank you. you know, stepping back and taking the deep breath and, and all of these things that actually, you know, a lot of us are probably going to be practicing with those that we live with eventually. <laughs> Yeah, I may practice these with my husband later <laughs> yes. because his office is downstairs and mine is upstairs and we're both doing this at the same time. And so we'll have to see who makes dinner tonight. I keep thinking, why am I making all the meals? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, um, no, interesting. Kind of circling back a little bit, uh, something happened this week in, in our environment that I think may be relevant, which is you get the call, you know, what do I do if I hear someone that has been coming into the house may have been exposed to coronavirus? You know, all of a sudden this gets real in a hurry. Should everybody be quarantined? You know, if everyone's quarantined, how do we provide the care involved? And this actually happened to us on Sunday morning. One of the overnight caregivers was uh, uh, potentially exposed through uh, her ex-husband who tested positive. And she was involved in some care-related issues with him, uh, getting him into the hospital. And unfortunately, I think for others, this scenario is likely to happen with the way this is, is being spread around. So what do you do? And my son happens to work for FEMA. He is a liaison officer for the state of Wisconsin. And I called him because honestly, I didn't know what to do. You know, did we have to quarantine everyone? And he, he made a number of uh, suggestions that I think proved to be very, very helpful. The first was, is get the facts on how they could have been in contact with a person very specifically, because it makes a big difference. So is this just they might have been around someone or it's on this date, they were with this person who since, you know, uh, tested or tested positive. And then the second thing he said, which is probably the most important was to call the county health department. So I did, I called the Washington County Health Department and I spoke to someone, I first left a message, obviously they're pretty swamped, but they called me back and I took them through all the specifics. And that's why the details are really important. And what they said was that in our case, it seems apparent that this, this family member likely contracted the illness or the virus while they were in the hospital. And so what they said is that, um, and this is apparently new guidelines that they've given for all healthcare workers, is if you are asymptomatic, so no symptoms at all, and no signs of a temperature being taken multiple times a day, it is acceptable for healthcare workers to continue to work. So you don't necessarily have to self-quarantine, which is different than what the original instructions, at least as I understood them, were. Um, 
And so that was really helpful. In this case, what we chose to do was take the person that had potentially been exposed and isolate her out of the care environment. So she self-quarantined through the 14-day period. And she's had no symptoms since then. It's now been since there was one exposure on the 10th, there was one exposure on the 14th. So as of this Saturday, it'll be a full you know, 14 days. And so far, everything seems to be coming. So I guess the, the reason I kind of mention this is if you're in a, a situation where you do have to have people come in, think through what you would do in our situation and do it now. Because I think the the risks of this illness are significant, you know, and if people aren't practicing the, you know, repeated hand washing and temperature taking and all the other steps, it's it's important to do that seriously. So I wanted to share more and more every day, more people take this seriously. I mean, I certainly take it far more serious today than I did two weeks ago and two weeks before that, to be honest with you. Uh, and, And I think just with the executive order here in Michigan to stay in, that is exactly what we're doing. I did head out yesterday briefly. I went to get some groceries and came right back in. But I think for the most part, People know the basics now. I'm still part of that have hope, have faith. Don't let it get to the point where you're panicking, right? I just, I, you know, I just don't know that that does anybody any good. I, I'm a true believer that attitude contributes to a lot of health issues beyond the COVID-19. Uh, you know, they, they looked at Bob after living 21 years and there wasn't a doctor, and believe me, he had dozens and dozens of doctors throughout those 21 years. And there wasn't one of them that could figure out how he was still living. Remember, he didn't have a whole lung. Majority of his ribs on the left-hand side were gone. Um, he had half of a head because it was, you know, the skull was gone. It never it doesn't grow back. Um, and people would say, how was he living? The only thing they kept coming up with is attitude that his attitude is pulling him through this. He would sing a lot. He whistled a lot. Uh, You know, thank goodness for his past with being a disc jockey. He had music on the mind, and we know how popular, you know, stories or, or, you know, how well people react to music. But they kept saying, this is really the only thing we can contribute the length of time that he lived. And so I'm going to move it forward to this this disease, this COVID-19. Attitude's still going to play a part. It's not going to do anybody any good to fear this afternoon or tomorrow or the person that drops off the UPS on the porch. And, you know, be smart. Use common sense. Uh, keep your home clean, keep your people clean. If you choose to take temperatures regularly, by all means do that. If you have healthcare workers that come in, contact the healthcare worker before they come and say, please make sure the following, I'm sure you know, but we need to make sure, just go over what they keep telling us, but don't panic. Um, Yeah, that's good. That's a very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, one other thing we've done is just in our own house is turn off the 24-7 cable news. I sometimes am a political kind of junkie. I pay attention to politics and stuff. But now is not the time to have the news channels on all the time because it'll spin you into the ground, I think. That's right. That's right. Well, even having my phone on, I think as a mom, I've just always gotten in the habit of keeping my phone on during the night in case any of the kids need me, obviously. And so, but the other night when they signed the stimulus package at one o'clock in the morning, (laughs) 
my phone blew up from every news organization that comes through the internet, right? Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, you can't get any sleep. I was up the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the do not disturb function on phones does work. Yeah, you just right, have to right. turn it on. But right. you're right. You got to take a break. Walk away. Right. Uh, now that our weather is warming up, maybe we do get a chance to go for a walk or the sitting on the porch in my neighborhood at 6 p.m. last night. Uh, those are the simple things in life that can make a huge difference right now. Yeah, there's nothing like a walk in the sunshine. And as long as you maintain the six feet distance, that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. That's right. Yeah. I agree. Yep. Yeah. So what would you say to kind of bring all of this together for caregivers who, you know, on top of their caregiving duties are now dealing with the, you know, their fears around the coronavirus virus and not just the fears around the virus, but the, the being isolated even to a greater extent. Um, you know, they're overwhelmed thinking like, I, I don't know if I, how long I can do this. Mm -hmm. What would be, what would you leave them with today? So that whole, I don't know how much longer I can do this is so common, Amy. And here's what I have always, my response has been for the last 20 years, the same thing. One of the things a caregiver can do is practice being flexible, right? You've got to be flexible. No two patients are alike. No two humans are alike. And thank goodness, no two days are alike. And to when you get overwhelmed like that, separate yourself, sit down. And I always said the same thing. In fact, I said it most nights before I would go to bed because I... I didn't know if I could keep going. And I would always say, you know, thank you for today. Either I lost our patience or it didn't go so well, or I'm at my wits end. And thank you so much that today is over and that it will never happen again. Mm -hmm. And with any luck, tomorrow's going to be a better day. And you leave it that way because being flexible, that is exactly what it's all about is recognizing you'll never have to live through two days the same right? Never. Have high hopes that tomorrow will be a better day. Well, th this has been wonderful, uh, Jill, having you as a guest, particularly at times like these, because I think the information's timely, for sure, right? We have a lot going on in the world, but it's also timeless, because these same issues are true regardless of whatever the crisis is you're facing or whatever the issue That's on right. that particular day. Very timeless help. So again, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on the Caring Together podcast. If you'd like more information about the resources that are available to family caregivers, please visit our website, livingstoncaregiver.org, or you can call our caregiver hotline, 844-734-CARE. That's 844-734-CARE to speak with a caregiver specialist. Please consider subscribing to the Caring Together podcast on your favorite podcast platform so that you can receive each new episode when it's released. We hope you found today's podcast helpful in your own caregiving journey. And to all the family caregivers out there, thanks for joining us on Caring Together.